0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, as we continue in our series, uh, Generous Life, Paul's word to the Ephesian Christians, again, Ephesians four twenty-nine. hear God's word. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you on this day for your word, and now as we spend time pondering that word and considering what it means for our lives today, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, who has already been at work throughout this service, would infuse our lives with understanding, that you would infuse our hearts with a, a longing and desire to serve and to live this way, that you would create and recreate for us mouths that speak from a place of goodness and love that we might be faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of the next two weeks in our series, we're actually going to draw from Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus. And here, if you've ever read this particular work, it's an impressive work in which Paul uh, fuses together and joins what we might say is rich theological uh, pictures where he discusses what God is up to in Jesus Christ and then connects those to very, very practical places where we might live a new kind of life. And we see that here in our particular text, how that might take shape uh, for Jesus' followers. In fact, the late John Stott, whose 100th birthday was this past week, called this section the nitty-gritty of Christian behavior. And so as we come to this, we recognize what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ, and now we understand that we are to live a different kind of life. Last week, I was, had the chance to check a couple boxes off of my to-do list. And it was projects around the house uh, that I wasn't necessarily looking really forward to, uh, but they would require heavy lifting. And I decided that I would do them solo. So the first project, I went out to the garage and I grabbed a queen-size mattress and I carried it up to the second level of our house and placed it on a new Murphy bed that we just installed recently. Second part of the project was to take the base of a large wooden hutch that we had in our dining room uh, turn it on in, put it on a hand truck, and take it out to the garage uh, so it can be picked up uh, later on that day. Two heavy lifting projects, uh, no injury, not even a scratch. I was celebrating that feat when I got ready to sit down for a Zoom meeting I had scheduled. I was excited that I got both those projects done in short order, had a little break, got them done. It was kind of, I think in my heart, boasting a little bit about what I'd accomplished uh, and getting ready to sit down. And I reached into my, my bag... Uh, to grab something, and I promptly cut the end of my finger with a paper folder. It doesn't take much to get injured. It doesn't take much to get wounded. Our words are the same way. It doesn't take much for us to say or to write or even to post on social media words that can hurt and harm, that can wound and injure. Of course, Scripture recognizes this fault in our lives Recognizes that we have a problem here and as you might know, and the pun is completely intended here, scripture is not silent on the dangers of what we say. Early in my ministry training, there was a popular object lesson that was used to convey the dangers of speech. What happened happen is that you're invited as a Bible teacher to hold a paper bag that's bulging because there's something inside of it that's causing uh, it to bulge, a large object in there, but you can't tell what it is. And the instruction from the teacher was simply this, the most dangerous weapon in all the world. And after some time, uh, the bag's contents would be disclosed and they'd pull out of the bag a large cow's tongue. And they'd set it on a table before uh, those who were the hearers And I remember just thinking when I saw this for the first time, wow, (laughs) wow, the tongue, the most dangerous weapon in all the world. Promptly followed with a study of James chapter 3 and talked about the importance of taming the tongue. Well, I don't have a cow's tongue this morning. I don't have a bag with some undisclosed item in it yet to be disclosed. Um, But this idea of getting a handle on what we have to say isn't just found in James. It's found in other places throughout the Scriptures. We hear in the Proverbs those, those words of wisdom for living a godly and faithful life, places where our words can create real danger for us. We know in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9, that our words can literally destroy our neighbors. And think about how that is so different from the call and the charge to love one's neighbor, that your words can destroy neighbors. We know in chapter 12, verse 18 of Proverbs, that rash words themselves are like sword thrust. It's like sword thrust. That's not a peaceful picture. That's not an enjoyable image that we have. And of course, words that are spoken that bear false witness against others, those are described in Proverbs 25, 18 as being a war club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. All of those things are implements for destruction and death. They're meant to mete out some kind of punishment. You don't want to be shot at or hit with any one of those items. Of course, Jesus wasn't silent on the matter either. There's a point in Matthew's Gospel, actually Matthew chapter 12, where the Pharisees have literally just seen Jesus heal a man who's described as being a demoniac, and they accuse Jesus as being in league with the prince of demons, or Beelzebub. And Jesus, of course, counters their claim, and he chastises them at the same time. Again, we read this in Matthew 12, verses 34 through 35, where Jesus says to them, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. Jesus clearly recognizes and teaches that our mouths are not independent of our hearts. That what we say comes from a deeper source from within. He goes on to say that it's important that we attend to this area of life, because in verse 36, he says that people will be held accountable for their words at the day of judgment. Of course, as I was studying this passage and reading the gospel and then reading Ephesians this week, I noticed several places where there' was interesting common elements between both what Jesus was saying and what Paul was saying. Captain Obvious, of course, the first one is, both have something to say about destructive talk. But note what happens when it talks about the immediate context of the passages themselves. Both of them caution against offenses to the Holy Spirit. You'll see that in the context that surrounds them. In Matthew 12, verses 31 through 32, Jesus talks about this idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Paul will say in Ephesians 4.30, grieving the Holy Spirit. Both are things that we have to be careful not to engage or involve ourselves in. And of course, both stories draw upon, or both accounts here draw on, an underlying word when describing their various undesirable speech. uses the the Greek word, sapras, and that same word is a word that shows up for us in our own language when we describe those things, those plants and those fungus, uh, or should we say fungi? um and also microorganisms that attach themselves uh, to dead or decaying matter those things that are eating that or getting sustenance from that we call those saprophytes and so it draws on that same word gives you an idea what the word's about when you look at matthew's text the words in reference to bad fruit in ephesians it's a reference to evil talk elsewhere in the gospel we see it's a reference to fish that are discarded or ones not to be kept Um, so again these things are not desirable The word itself holds the meaning of that which is rotten, which is putrid, again, which is undesirable. Not a good picture when you think about the language we speak. And on this last point, evil talk that is rotten and putrid, what we might call foul language, think about that, it dovetails nicely with, or maybe not nicely, nicely is the wrong word here, it dovetails perfectly here with the old life which is described as dead in your trespasses. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. That's, that type of life is one that was supposed to be put away. That life is to be done with, as Paul will say in verse 23 of Ephesians. And Remember in the enjoining, Remember that part about the enjoining of theological and practical? That's kind of a, a model that Paul's using throughout Ephesians, this going to the high and then down to the immediately uh, practical. It's to be replaced instead with a language and a life that conforms itself, as Paul will say, to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're supposed to live a different kind of life. We're not supposed to be, speak in putrid languages into decaying, destructive words. So what are we talking about when we say evil language or evil talk? Well, that list certainly could include name calling and insults, those certainly would be on that list. Uh, sarcasm would be on the list, ridicule and mockery, gossip, slander profanity use of what we might call dirty jokes intimidation using words to intimidate and bully uh, threats language that attempts the wound or control even language that would mislabel people for the purpose of controlling and and pushing people down or even tearing down and destroying folks with our words any type of power play racist language would be on the list being dismissive with our language to shut peoples down, to shut out their voice. Of course, Paul will deal with earlier in chapter 4, in verse 25, he'll deal with lying. It's another evil use of language, uh, and we could certainly add that to our list. This admonition, of course, against evil language is just one admonition amongst many in chapter 4 of Ephesians and going to the first part of chapter 5. Each one, though, is not just for the individual's benefit. They're put forward as ways of keeping the community intact. What we might say, how to cultivate a faithful and authentic community. Each one of these admonitions does that. And here the theological backdrop here for us to see is that our creator, one who from the very beginning of Genesis is shown to be one who speaks and who speaks well, who speaks in defense of others and builds people up with, with words of salvation and grace That same creator has given you and me the capacity to use language. And we've been given the responsibility and we've been charged with that responsibility to use that language well. We're to use our capacity well. When we do, we embody what Paul will describe in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Ephesians as being imitators of God. And we go on to what he describes in verse 2 to be those who are living in love. But it doesn't just end there again it's not just about the individual who's living this way or speaking this way there's also something here about the recipient i love how our text this morning when i was reading through it throughout the week is not just it doesn't just end on a cautionary note it doesn't just say don't do this all right it doesn't leave us there at that spot but it actually takes us to a new vista it gives us a better way forward, something for us to imagine, to aspire for, that's greater than just not doing something. It says, hey, here's, here's how you're to live, and this is the place you're to live from. And as we look at that and we see that, we understand that what Paul says is that we're not just to not use evil language, but we're also to speak in a way that is useful for building people up. And that's important, and that's key. That's quite a contrast to that which is dead and decaying. This is something that gives life. And we see that earlier in the chapter as well, that God has dispensed gifts to Christian leaders for the purpose of building up the church. You see that in chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. We also know that the church is being built up in love uh, as it goes on in chapter 4 verses 15 through 16. And here in our own text, we join that project, each one of us, We don't have to be this fantastic, great, huge leader of the faith to live this way. We can be ones who participate in the building up of the church with our words. But not just the church. Our words have the power of building up our families. They have the power to build up our spouses. They have the power to build up our children, our neighborhoods, our communities, our co-workers, our nation, and even all the world as those who go and proclaim good news and use good words in the process of doing that. I think it's particularly important here to note that Paul will go on to say here that not only does it words that it build up, but we actually have this phrase here that it gives grace to those who hear. And that idea of giving grace to those who hear is a, is a concept that says it enables them to become something more. It takes those who may not deserve it and yet it allows them to become a person, a kind of person, to live into a kind of life because of those words where they're encouraged to live and be something more. And I think this note about grace is important to us as a congregation because we have aspired to and we have laid claim to the identity that we are people who are revealing God's grace. Using words is one way to do that. Using good words especially to reveal that grace. So you may have never uh, read neuropsychiatrist LuAnn Byzantine's 2006 book, The Female Brain. But you might be familiar with one of its claims, that women are far more verbal than men, uh, is the claim. And actually, uh, when I say far more verbal, according to that first edition of that book, uh, it claimed that women on average speak 20,000 words a day while their male counterparts uh, log in only an average of 7,000 words. So quite, quite a difference there uh, according to that, that book. One of the problems though is that particular statistic that was put out there didn't really have any research behind it and it was a claim that was made but not particularly one that had any research to back it. No one had really done a study to determine uh, if this was actually correct. And so a group of researchers decided that they would take on the task, that they would look into this and they did a study and about a year and a half later Uh, They uh, published their their report in 2007, and the findings and what they concluded were something far different than what was said earlier in the book, that actually men and women use roughly the same number of words each day. In fact, the numbers are somewhere around the high 15,000s for men and the low 16,000s for women, so roughly uh, the same number of words. I thought it was pretty curious that uh, when you look at the, the study, they have a low end and a high end. They have the person who speaks the least number of words in the study, and the person who speaks the most, and the low end was somewhere like in the 600s, It was like this really low number compared to the fifteen or sixteen thousand. And then the person on the high end was well over forty thousand words, which is way more than the fifteen or sixteen thousand of average. And both of those, the low end and the high end, were both men. And so just imagine how that blows up uh, this this idea here. Well. One of the pieces that we take away from a study like this that I think is helpful for us today is this. 15, 16,000 words, that's a lot of words. It doesn't matter who you are right now, where you're at. Each one of us is going to use a lot of words. In a 24-hour period, each one of us use, uses a lot of words. And our text reminds us that we are to use them well. But how do you do that in the rhythm, in the course of everyday life. I think we might draw here on a a lesson from music. Music might help us to picture this. In music, particularly when you look at a musical score, a composer uh, will use notation that's uh, smaller than the primary notes that show up there. Uh, Almost half the size of those notes, little tiny notes before a primary note. Uh, and these small notations are designed to offer even more ornamentation to the notes, little flourishes uh, throughout, uh, so that as you're listening to the composition, the sound of it is, is made more pleasing uh, by these little notes. They don't affect necessarily the number of notes uh, on a page. They're meant to be, again, ornamentation and flourishes throughout there. And they, in, they serve in service of those primary notes. Well, of course, those little tiny notes that show up on the page are called grace notes. They're grace notes. By God's grace, we are transformed to live more pleasing lives. And when we offer our own grace notes, when we offer those words that are spoken with great care and love and affection, words that are designed to build up the note that follows, to build up our sisters and brothers, our friends and our neighbors, When we speak with that type of language, with those type of words, and we offer those things not in a sparingly kind of way, but rather offer them generously, how much more loving, how much more pleasing, how much more aromatic our lives become together. We're not just comporting at that point to a standard. We're not simply checking a box saying, here's the rule, I kept the rule, I checked the box, but rather we're now participating we're composing beautiful, beautiful ways of living, composing what amounts to a beautiful life for all of us, a life that God has called us to inhabit, a life that God has called us to experience, a life that God has called us to enjoy together. May it be so in our generation and forever. Amen. Friends, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you on this day for your great love—a love that sees us and really does know us. That you know us by name, and that you know everything about us. And yet, you still love us, and you're still present to us, and you still invite us to embody a new way of life, a better way of living. And so today, Lord, as we have considered and pondered what it means to be ones who use our words well. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to be those people. Change our hearts and our minds, that our speech may follow, and that we might speak not only good news, but a good word to one another and all the world. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen.